Bigfoot, Skunk Ape, Grassman, Sasquatch. Just a few of the names given to the primate-like creature said to roam the woods and remote areas of North America. Tales of this elusive being go back for hundreds of years. Is it mere myth and legend? Or is there truly something more tangible to this phenomena? Join us on this journey as we discuss the science behind the encounters, the research and the evidence, keeping you updated on the latest findings, ideas, and hypothesis. Arrogance gets us nowhere, and closing one's eyes doesn't make things disappear, nor less real. Today's myth could be tomorrow's reality. It's time to make this subject matter less taboo. Welcome to Monster X Radio. Bigfoot without the BS. Welcome to Monster X Radio. This is Gunnar Monson, along with Mr. Shane Hardcore Corson. Today we're going to talk a little bit about all the plethora of Bigfoot documentaries and TV series and movies, etc. I had a little bit extra time in the last couple of weeks and kind of binge-watched quite a few documentaries I found some good ones. I got to say, you know, I'm a fan of Seth Breedlove and Small Town Monsters. Um, I watched a couple of those, but I was going through uh, Amazon Prime and there's tons. I mean, absolutely tons. Uh, I went back and watched a couple from a few years ago. The first, actually, first documentary I ended up watching was Big Fur, which isn't, isn't so much about being out in the field. Though um, Ken Walker, who is the the featured subject of the film, does research Bigfoot, does does go out and do some field research, but the main subject there was that he was creating, recreating a life size model of Patty to enter the competition as a, as a taxidermist. I really liked Big for Ken's a character and. Uh, it was funny. He got to see a little bit back into his personal life, and uh, it was enjoyable. It wasn't so much, you know, a Bigfoot out in the field research documentary. I liked it. Now, I know that you just interviewed Ken a little bit ago, Shane, for uh, one of our podcasts. And uh, what was he like talking to him as opposed to, you know, how, is that him in, in Big Fur? Yeah. You know, we- I interviewed uh, Ken Walker years ago. I think it was like maybe 2013 or 2014 on Monster X years ago, basically about his research. And for those that don't know Ken Walker, you know, he's been a kind of a avid Sasquatch investigator for years up in Canada. And he was uh, an individual who had worked with Todd Standing in the early days. Now, Ken Walker, amazing fella. He's hilarious. 
what you see on <laughs> on uh, Big Fur is what you get in person, no doubt about it. And and go back and listen to that episode of Monster X Radio with Ken Walker and his producer. It's a gr- just a couple of weeks back. Good episode, but uh, Ken Walker's a great guy, and he does a really a ton of really good investigative study stuff. And then, of course, he's a taxidermist, and he he's built one of the most phenomenal, uh, you know, Sasquatch replicas out there, bar none. Big Fur is a great film, so check it out. Yeah, I just, it was entertaining. And, and he was a Roy Orbison uh, impersonator, professionally, <laughs> for a little bit. So. Yeah, and he's I got mean, a great a, voice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, we talked a little bit about that Ken's interaction with, with Standing. And uh, there was conversation a while back about uh, a research area that somebody had taken Mr. Standing to, and then Mr. Standing had over, take, basically taken it over. That was actually Ken's research area. Yeah, that whole area was kind of Ken's area. And I said, like I said, um, maybe right. we can, uh, we'll have to find the link. It's been, I mean, it's been many years since I've interviewed Ken. And forgive me, Gunner, you may have been involved with that conversation. I don't remember. It's been many years, but we did interview Ken. I, yeah, that was, that was pre-Gunner. Okay. PG. <laughs> PG, <laughs> pre-Gunner, right. Well, we did, you know, Montrex did interview Ken Walker, and he really divulged, divulged a lot of really interesting things. That's back in the heyday where Todd Standing was kind of a, a big thing and all over the place, and I have met Todd Standing in person at the Sasquatch Summit uh, years ago uh, that was held in Ocean Shores, Washington. And, you know, I, I'm not going to talk ill foul of somebody, and I can care less about uh, individuals and their research per se. Um, you know, I mean, as far as talking ill foul of them, but, you know, Todd, to me, is just one of those guys that uh, the way he treated Ken Walker was absolutely wrong, and uh, it is what it is. And, you know, and Ken does a great job of not – talking ill foul of anybody and to to his credit you know upwards and onwards move on there's always those that aspect to this research and the sooner you mature in this field the better off you'll be and, and ken has uh, definitely done that over the years and as a guy i, I highly respect well i like i said i enjoyed the the documentary and if i would recommend i give it i give it a two hairy thumbs up <laughs> <laughs> of course you do <laughs> <laughs> maybe i need to shave i'm not quite sure but no i mean it that, i like that one and some of the other ones i watched had to watch a couple of the, the small town monsters one set is doing this series on bigfoot on the trail of bigfoot and started out with the legend and then there was the search and uh you know featured lauren coleman bob and kathy strain other people that are associated with the North American Wood Ape Conservancy, and I, caught, I, I saw a couple familiar faces from the OP. I would imagine you did. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say we yeah, we, no. uh, we worked with Seth Love on a portion of his uh, On the Trail of Bigfoot series, and you know, I, I've known Seth online for years, having worked with him actually in the field, and and a couple of uh, you know his producers and, and fellow cohorts been a great experience and i got a lot of respect as i said before in past shows that uh, i got a lot of respect for seth and what he does and of course you probably saw a couple of familiar faces on the trail of bigfoot uh, w- which would have been uh, Derek randall's and myself so, mm-hmm. yeah i mean good stuff i mean seth just puts out some some amazing stuff some really good solid stuff and 
you know, if you're not into Sasquatch, he's been working on all sorts of different cryptids and some paranormal stuff. I know Seth's passion is the Sasquatch phenomena. I, I've had conversations with him on the phone. That is his passion. And, you know, Seth's had a couple of experiences himself, as has some of his, uh, his uh, production crew. And so it's always a pleasure to work with Seth. And uh, I, I, always, I always look forward to whatever he's putting out there. Because you know at the end of the day, I would work with, not just me, but the OP. The OP really doesn't work with a whole lot of production companies. We've done some stuff here and there. But as you'll as you know, Gunner, we turned down a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff over the years, and especially recently, it's like these guys are coming out of the woodwork, reaching out to not I'm sure not just the the Olympic project, but many other groups, many other individuals uh, for material to film with them. A lot of times we don't jive; it doesn't fit, and uh, most of us can care less about TV unless it it really puts the uh, subject matter in a good light and the, the research is being done in a good light. Otherwise, you know, there's no money to be made. It's just about TV time and, and who cares about that? Yeah. Seth does a great job. Like you said, I, I like what he, his approach, but he does, there's a very theatrical, well edited, well shot. You know, I, I, some of the, the shows that I watched, I watched one from 2018 called Bigfoot Encounters. And while the, the content uh, in it was good, it was basically focused on Southern Bigfoot phenomenon. And uh, Dr. Meldrum was was uh, featured in it. Uh, Brian Sons and uh, Don McDonald of the Gulf Coast Bigfoot Research Organization, I think. I remember hearing about the Gulf Coast Research Organization uh, years ago. Yeah. And uh, kind of hadn't really paid much attention to it. But they're, you know, they... They were featured prominently in it. The only thing I didn't like is they used a kind of a hokey Bigfoot costume throughout the, you know, like when Finding Bigfoot does uh, shows a Bigfoot re- recreation or whatever. They, their uh, animation, their uh, CGI is really high end. It, it just was a reflection of the budget, you know, that they ha- they got the Bigfoot costume that they can find online or rent or whatever and showed that as the that was a little hokey. The information was interesting and talked about some of the differences between Bigfoot sightings, what uh, comes out of the, the encounters in the Pacific Northwest versus out of the South, mm-hmm. where, you know, the Pacific Northwest Sasquatch Bigfoot seemed to be more docile and they seemed to be a little more angry. And I, I think could in the South, it could be, you know, the humidity the big mosquitoes. I don't know what it is, but having to live in a swamp. <laughs> and I've heard that for years too, is I don't know if it's a interbreeding population, you know, smaller population and there's more interbreeding, but they talk about there being uh, more of a variation in the, the number of toes that they find in tracks, three, four, and five toes. And one of the explanations that they put forth for that was possibly inbreeding, the amount of inbreeding that was going on, which is well, possible. I mean, yeah. everything, you know, go against the wall and see what happens. Yeah, to talk about that real quick, you brought up an interesting point, something I've been wanting to talk for, a, a you know, for quite a, a while now, especially on some of these shows, when it comes to the amount of toes. I, I had a good conversation with Dr. Meldrum years ago about some of these, even up in the Northwest, and it's rare to find a trackway, you know, of just three-toed or four-toed tracks. Not that it can't happen, and not that, say, if, if Sasquatch is missing a toe or there's something else out there, not that 
discluding all that, but it's also a lot of these tracks are found in certain types of soil or certain types of terrain where, you know, just like a bear track or a cougar track or, or even a human track, sometimes you're only going to see three to four toes. I mean, just that simple. A lot of times you don't get the context of a track or a trackway if there's a trackway to be found. A single. Yeah, it could be just a single foot. And yeah. Then, yeah, you know, uh, is it three-toed, four-toed, five-toed? But a lot of these tracks, you know, they're impartial. And when people come out and go, okay, well, here's a three-toed track and it looks like a giant foot and it's got three toes or four toes. If there's it's a it, giant sloth. Right. But if there's a whole trackway I mean, of that, that a whole trackway in line, then you can probably say, yeah, that individual is got three toes, uh, four toes, or whatever have you. But to uh, say, based off of one track or two tracks, that that individual has that many toes, I just, you know, I just, I have a hard time buying that. And like I said, Dr. Melvin showed me how even with Sasquatch tracks or humans, if you step on the side of your foot, like say, like when you're out and walking in the woods barefoot, just for, for example, and you, don't land flat. You land like more on the, the side of your foot and a couple of your toes come down. Yeah, you'll leave a trackway that's going to show like the side of your foot and three or four toes, but maybe not that fifth toe. And yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. If there's not a real good trackway, then how can you say the individual only had three toes or four toes? You know, it's just, it's, it's all about context and the train and documenting stuff properly. Cause I found tracks before. And, and many others have where it looks like, oh, yeah, it's only got three toes or it's only got four toes. When in fact, whether it's a known animal or not, uh, no, there's more toes to be found if you follow the trackway. If there is a trackway or if you look at the train or how it was walking that train and, you know, moving around in that. So just a lot of these uh, assumptions kind of bother me sometimes. And I'm no expert. Don't get me wrong. But just looking at this logically. Sometimes it can be explained away rather easily, and sometimes they can't. You make a, a good point that I think it's Cliff that talks about, you know, that, that a footprint is not a uh, duplication of, of a foot. It's the damage that's done by the foot to the ground. Right. So uh, Dr. Meldrum uh, was featured in many of the documentaries that I watched, and the Bigfoot foot has a different morphology than a human foot and it's very well suited to moving in uneven ground you know over rocks and branch what you would you know a human walk through the woods with any speed we'd we'd break an ankle before too long (laughs) because our foot is very it's very stable it's made for walking on flat surfaces you know and uh, dr melvin was talking about the, there was a discussion of the Patterson-Gimlin film, and one of the very distinguished features about the the, the gate of that of Patty is the angle with which she raises her feet, and a, you know very quickly when her foot makes contact with the ground, her heel is is perpendicular to the ground. You know her toes are still in are still in contact with the ground, and and that's why you. A lot of prints, the toes are embedded deeper than the heel because the weight, as the Sasquatch foot makes contact with the ground, it's propelled. They actually lift the the back of the foot up first and basically go off their toes. And yeah. so they're, and yeah, the, gr- the degree of 
how high they lift their legs to motate versus what a human does. We barely, you know, we barely lift our feet off the ground. And, and that's one very distinguishing feature in the Patterson-Gimlin film is Patty's feet come way up off the ground. And then they, there was a big, dis- quite a discussion about how the difficulty of walking through that kind of terrain um, in a suit and then doing it in in the manner, the natural manner which where the patter, Patty walks. You know, it just doesn't make sense that it was somewhat of a suit if you, without getting into all the you know lack of what the capabilities in 1967 were for costuming and on a low budget. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. You know, it just doesn't make sense. And then supposedly the guy that said he was in the suit, her Hieronymus, you know, had a clap, had one eye, um, said that he wore the suit. His eye was like two inches from the edge of the costume. And, and he walked like Patty walked and right. did trip. But, you know, yeah. with, with the foot morphology, I mean, uh, that's something I often think about is how many times has someone come across a ambiguous uh, track or track way and thought, oh, it's a bear or something just based on only the front pad coming down and maybe not seeing the heel because maybe the heel never touched the ground. How many times has that happened? And would you even notice that? So, you know what? Maybe there is Sasquatch out there with missing a toe or maybe there's something else. I don't know. Right. Today, I shared a picture from the futon footprint that Cliff investigated and Chris Minier down here in Oregon, what it was, 2008, February, I'm starting 2018. And I was lamenting the fact that I actually had been emailed by the same person and uh, I didn't have, I couldn't get away at the time. And, and I, fortunately, the person also contacted Cliff who got a hold of Chris because that would have been a really uh, missed opportunity had because the weather got really bad after that. Um, Chris had some difficulty finding the location. Um, actually drove by the location. It was pretty close to where he lived, but he didn't know exactly till he actually talked to the witness and was able to find this futon with a couple of footprints on it. And then um, the weather got so bad that I think it was like another week before Cliff was able to get down there. You know, it was an impressive, and and it has such a a cool imprint on this. I mean, what's the chances of that somebody finding that? Because uh, a little bit of rain you know, bad weather would have destroyed it. And Cliff has those in his uh, museum. He actually has prints of those uh, that he has, you know, you can buy them. I like that. Those are super cool. And I get everybody. It's a great Christmas gift for uh, or birthday gift for people that, you know, are into Bigfoot because it's so cool. What a, what a cool of the toes. Yeah. I mean, what a cool story yeah. you're talking. I think it was down there basically in the Springfield area of Oregon. Eugene Springfield area down there in Oregon and and somebody had pulled off the side of the road and you know off the the main highway down there um, with I, I don't remember if it was off the five or whatnot but it was off the highway and kind of a desolate area and they found this futon on the side of the road uh, I, I forgot why they pulled over they pulled over and they saw this futon and it was laying on the ground and they saw this huge impression and like you said Gunner uh, individual reached out to you and they reached out to eventually out to I probably contacted you first, I believe, but then eventually reached out to Cliff. And uh, fortunately, one of uh, Cliff's buddies happened to live not too far away and went out and investigated. And lo and behold, was this really unique 
really cool impression on this futon. You know, futon, you know, we're basically talking about a mattress on the ground. Somebody had dumped on the side of the road and right. something apparently yeah. had stepped on it, which, I mean, if you look at that impression, it, it's impressive. The toes are splayed. It's large. Uh, and if you go to Clips website or visit the museum down there in, in Boring, Oregon, you can see this firsthand. And it's it's rather amazing. And the whole story behind it, how uh, it was collected, how it was found, it's actually, it's, it's one of those stories that almost never happens unless you know somebody. And it's just fortunate that it made its way to Cliff. Uh, though I know you were reached out to, and I know we had talked about it because I was actually thinking about heading down there, but I forget what I was doing at the time. I wasn't able to do it. So, yeah, it, it just was. Cliff was actually at, in Nebraska at at a Bigfoot conference at the time. Um, I was went back and was reading the. Uh, he's got a great write up on his website on cliffberrickman dot com. So, if you want to, and I put a link to it on our on our Facebook group. It's also. You know, it's on our YouTube channel. It's in Instagram. So I was sharing it today. It was kind of cool. I was looking at it today and uh, like, wow, that was three years ago. Kind of reminiscing some of the, like, you know, I, I, I missed uh, meeting Bobo for the longest time when uh, I was in the BFRO. Bobo would, and this was way, you know, pre-finding Bigfoot. I just used to hear about Bobo. Oh, yeah, guy, you know, Bobo from California. And we're going to we were supposed to be at the same place and something would come up that I couldn't make it or he didn't make it. And I think the first time I ever met Bobo was at one of uh, Todd Neese's Beachfoot events. I actually outbid Bobo for a bottle of Bigfoot wine. What? <laughs> <laughs> I know. But I, yeah, I had a good time meeting Bobo and he's a fun guy. And, uh, you know, I hadn't met Cliff before before he was on fighting big, but I actually met him Cliff for the first time uh, through a hopsquatch to Guy Edwards event that he used to have in Portland. Miss hopsquatch. That was a lot of fun. Oh man. Hopsquatch was great. I mean, what, what year was that? I, I met, I mean, I remember meeting Cliff the first time. I think it was 2000. I believe it was 2012. I could be wrong, but it wasn't shortly thereafter. I just come back from uh squatch. Sasquatch Summit up in Washington in Ocean Shores and uh, ran into Cliff at the, the next Hopsquatch was like like the next day after I got back. So he was very uh, kind, gave me, it went, uh, we, our birthdays were really close together and uh, we were talking and he, I said, yeah, I just had my birthday. And he's like, oh, and he took me over to his car and gave me a couple of casts. And I'm like, <laughs> what a cool guy. So oh, yeah. yeah, that was super. my first impression of Cliff. Like you said, Cliff's a cool guy. And so, uh, Gunner, getting back to like these uh, these documentaries you've yeah. been watching. What else have you watched? There's a yeah, ton, yeah. There's a ton, like you said, on on Amazon Prime and and a few others. I, I've been catching up, and, and this year I've noticed a lot of really good ones coming out. What else have you seen? I watched the Unwanted Sasquatch with um, the director's cut that Darcy Weir yeah uh, had done previously last year to um the Sasquatch Among Wildmen, which you were featured on. And uh Dr. Mel Meldrum's in that. Um our friend Thomas Steenberg from uh British Columbia, who who is one of the hosts of On the Shoulders of Giants with Julie Ranch. And uh the late Bill Miller was he and Thomas were really good friends. They were featured on it. Boy that Bill Miller had a you know just a like an encyclopedia brain of of Bigfoot knowledge. 
it also had John Green and Grover Krantz on it. And, uh, it had a couple scenes from, I brought back memory from like a long time ago. They used to have a, a show out in Portland on Channel 2 called Town Hall. And they would have different subjects and they had a, a town hall about Bigfoot. And uh, Dr. Grover Krantz was there. And uh, it was funny because a gentleman <laughs> brought up a very woo aspect about the, at, that. And this is this would have to been 25, 30 years ago, was talking about how they were interdimensional. And like, wow, woo existed way back then. I mean, who knew? Who knew the woo? But, <laughs> but yeah, not, it was. But um, not to not to the extent it is today. But yeah, it was it was it was around. No, it was around. No, there were people uh, were giving them some eye rolls in the audience, and it was kind of funny. But uh, ouch! Yeah, watching uh, that that was actually a really good one. And uh, of course, uh, Sasquatch Among Wild Men that, that you were featured in was was also a really good one. The last one that I was watching and not through it all the way is called The Back Eighty, which uh, is uh, pretty cool, like interview style. And I want to say this. It's based in Ohio. So a lot of the the documentaries that, that I'm seeing are basically interviews, you know, stretched out into uh, a documentary. That's one of the things that I also like about what Seth does with Small Town Monsters and his the way that he puts his stories together, his documentaries together. It's way more like said, theatrical It's in, ter- in terms of the amount of scenery that and he goes out into the field, interviews people in the context of doing outdoor investigations. I mean, doing, you know, he went out with uh, Nawak and there was a gentleman there that was out and wh- while they were there and heard vocalizations, heard a tree knock. Um, and that evening, I think they saw some eyes looking at them from a hillside. So. It's a little bit more than your your typical like interview style. That it's all just interview styles. There's some of them that are put together that where I think people just pulled people uh, aside at conferences and uh, did a series of interviews and then turned it into you know a full length documentary. Which I you know those are cool too. I like to watch talking to witnesses and, and investigators. And what's crazy is I started scrolling through. Um, on Amazon Prime is where I started, and just how many? I mean, there's tons and tons of Bigfoot documentaries, and some of them look kind of funky. I started, I started to read reviews to see, you know, what should I even bought. Uh, otherwise, you you could probably be watching Bigfoot documentaries for the next year solid. Never leave the house. <laughs> yeah, I wish I'd known that during the, the beginning of the pandemic last year. <laughs> I would have grown a big beard and, and just said, you know, microwave food and popcorn and, and watch Bigfoot documentaries. It's good stuff. I mean, there's there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of good ones coming out. There's a few stinkers, but, and of course, there's always the things that come out on, on TV. You know, Finding Bigfoot just had a, how do I call it, reunion show, but had a, a new episode that they did, of course. Expedition Bigfoot is on TV right now. And, uh, you know, going back, of course, one of my least favorite Bigfoot TV shows of all time was the Bigfoot Bounty, $10 million Bigfoot Bounty. Um, basically, a finding Bigfoot meets, uh, say, Survivor, because it wasn't as 
intensive survivor. I'm actually a survivor fan, but it just it was kind of taking Bigfoot research and turning it into a game show. So, you know, it was entertaining. When he said, I kind of a persnickety Bigfoot connoisseur of, you know, of Bigfoot TV stuff. I'll run by, if I run it by Susan, she loves, she loved Bigfoot County. So did Jake. Um, they also are very, uh, Susan really likes Expedition Bigfoot. You know, as far as entertainment, not, not bad TV shows. I just, not my cup of tea. So it's just personal preference. Just recently, um, William Shatner is doing a new show called The Unexplained. And uh, our friend Todd Neese from Oregon, American Primate Conservancy, uh, he and Diane have that, hosted Beachfoot um, every year for umpteen years. And uh, all-around good guy um, was featured on the most recent episode. And it's interesting to me, you know, like, hey, William Shatner's doing, you know, something called The Unexplained. And Spock, <laughs> Leonard Nimoy did, you know, in search of years ago. So picking up the mantle of his of his friend. Of course, like you were we were talking off air and you were saying, you know, hey, two two original sci-fi guys. Yeah, it makes makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um I found myself because I do have my own prejudices about the, the subject. On the trail of Bigfoot, the search, there was a portion of the show, the the documentary that was going into the woo side you know, paranormal side and UFO connection. And I like, I find myself getting squirmish about like having a hard time sitting still like, Oh, oh, please. But in Seth's defense, really, that is, it is, he is a documentarian. He's not, he, he was showing that side because he talked to people that that was, it is in the subject. There are people, you know, that believe that Bigfoot comes down out of UFOs, you know, the Bigfoot moves between dimensions. I was friends with uh, Matt Johnson for quite a while. Haven't been in touch with him for quite a while. Who went, he went on to, you know, I got the king of all. I was going to say, you mentioned, you know, we got a lot of new listeners. You have to fill people in on who Matthew Johnson is. You're just throwing a name out there. Who is, oh, yeah, you got to yeah. give a little, not, you know, <laughs> a little bit of a background. Yeah, no. Well, Matt Johnson was a, a psychologist that had a, a Bigfoot sighting down by the Oregon case with his family. Um, it was very documented and caught on because I, because of his profession, I think, you know, that, Hey, here's a psychologist who said he saw Bigfoot and uh, years went by. I, I actually went out with Matt down in Southern Oregon out of Grants Pass. There was a group uh, called the SOB Southern Oregon Bigfoot Society, which is kind of funny. Went out with them a couple times. There was some evidence presented. It wasn't Matt that did it at the time. There was somebody presented. Some scat had been found the previous time they were out. Um, I knew what had, that had been buried in the ground. And the next time I went down, one, one of the guys said, yeah, last time we found Bigfoot scat. Like, no, no, you don't know that. You just found a pile of poop. So I like, ah, this is, you know, it isn't worth driving down here for this. So years go by, I don't see Matt. Ran into him um, at Beachfoot, the first Beachfoot I went to. Matt Houston was a hardcore aper, as the, <laughs> the queen of, you, for lack of a better term. And if you right. believed otherwise, you were an idiot. Yeah. Well, Matt, at some point between that time that I met him and, and I saw him years late, a couple of years later, had had gone to the Wu site. You know, he had an area research area in, in Oregon um, called SOA, 
that he deemed SOA Southern Oregon habituation area. I actually ended up going out to SOA and uh, spending a couple nights out there. I did not experience anything that I could say was Bigfoot per se. Some indentations on the ground. He would put out food bowls. Did find an interesting uh, fingerprint on the bowl, which we did pull off the bowl by using charcoal and and tape. (laughs) But it became a point of contention between Matt and I because um, he allegedly had contact with a law enforcement person who could do fingerprinting and was would analyze it. Well, never did happen. And Matt, at the time, was trotting people out, taking them to the area, and then he was saying that people vetted his area. We had a conversation that was kind of heated about, like, if you're going to, you know, tell people that I vetted your area, then you have an obligation to to vet the evidence that was that was collected during that time. And like, well, I don't know anything anybody. Anyway, things got weirder and weirder down there to the point of uh, Adam Davis and John Carlton having a very bizarre, I I think demonic, (laughs) uh, encounter uh, on the the ridge down there out of Grants Pass. Uh, Subsequent to that, Matt went to the point of like where they actually, um, he claimed that Bigfoot was from another planet, on a dying planet. They created some device him and some other people to pull to save the Bigfoot from their dying planet where they came to Earth or through their to this dimension and then um, melded into trees that Bigfoot were tr- basically tree people. And uh, interestingly, I hadn't heard a lot of Matt about Matt um, for quite a while for a few years now. And uh, Susan and I for Valentine's Day went up to uh, Long Beach, Washington, and there's a like a curiosity shop like a weird museum but it's basically a giant gift store and i'm walking through there and there there's a book about three inches thick by matt about uh zorth and the tree people and and that whole thing i i did not buy it and i won't read it yeah that's matt johnson <laughs> so that's a long story a long yeah. drawn out uh, explanation of, of matt johnson you mentioned his name, and I thought, well, shoot, you, you went down that rabbit hole. You might as well give the audience a little bit. <laughs> I'm just going to defend Matt. Not necessarily the results of his, um, I mean, definitely not when he, he went so far out with his. So, you know, like, okay, you, he did go to the same research area for like eight years in a row. And I, I was giving him credit for that. And there were very well could in the area that he was in. There could have been Bigfoot there. Um, wasn't my experience that, you know, Bigfoot, I did have a, a very strange experience while our, where Matt claimed that Bigfoot were belly crawling up to the, the landing that we were on and, and that he saw light beams in the, the forest. And like, I didn't see any of that. So I determined that I just wasn't enlightened enough to experience those things. And then like things, some, it's interesting, uh, you know, how sometimes I know other people that initially were apers that transition into into the woo attributing attributes to what i think is is a unusual highly intelligent um stealthy animal yeah. the vast majority of of encounters are, are very terrestrial in their nature wow i mean this show is kind of across the board because uh, we're going from, you know, uh, documentaries <laughs> to, uh, you know, the, the Matt J man. And honestly, Gunner, I mean, you've worked with a lot of individuals and, and, and Matt J just happened to be one of them. Yeah. Gunner, I did want to touch upon something 
Seth Breedlove's coming out from you know Ohio with his production crew. Uh, Shannon Legros gonna be uh, this is exciting. So it's exciting. We've, we've touched on this a little bit. We've been, we touched on this a little bit in a couple passes, but but it wasn't really public what the subject of this new. He's got two segments that he's done on on the trail of Bigfoot, the the legend and the search, and the third one being planned. So tell our our listeners what is the subject matter of of the third installment. Absolutely, I'm really stoked because Seth's coming out here to work with the Olympic Project out here in the Pacific Northwest, and we we're going to give him and his production crew access to a few areas that we've, we've held very closely to ourselves as scientific endeavor. And they're going to get to film some of these areas. It's just access to this area that we've not given access to anybody. But Seth is an amazing videographer, producer, and he's got an amazing crew. We're going to give them access to some of these areas because I think a, there is a story to be told. And I think the story should be told. And I think some of the, the uh, things we've come across should be shared. And this is where I'm excited is that we're bringing these guys out there. And I know Seth is going to do a great job. The Olympic Project have no hesitations having Seth film this area. Uh, if something happens, cool. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Either way, happen. all bets are off I mean, at any think, time. Oh, yeah. I mean, we can run into a bear. I mean, there's a lot. That'd be exciting. Of, yes. That'd be exciting in itself. Oh, yeah. exactly, exactly. And so that's, you know, <laughs> I, I, I just, I'm really I'm really happy and stoked to have these guys out in this area to, to uh, film with us and, and experience uh, the remoteness, experience the density of the woods, um, the surrounding area, and just get a feel for there. We've never allowed anybody out there, but I wouldn't do it, and we wouldn't do it for anybody else than Seth Breedlove because he does amazing work in his productions. And it's something at the end of the day, you know, hey, we're not going to prove Sasquatch exists on, on Seth's production. But we will share a story. We will share research. We will share findings. Who knows? Uh, I'm just looking forward to having Seth and, and Small Town Monsters out here again. And it's going to be I'm, something I'm going to be proud of, no doubt about it, then they. And so is the rest of the Limb Project uh, group. And yeah. Yeah, well, what you touched on is is so important with what Seth does differently. He is truly a documentarian. He's documenting what happens. He's not, he's not editorializing, you know, like you said, he doesn't have an agenda. Would, would it be fantastic if they put, you know, if the event that happened with uh, you and Todd happened, well, well, Seth was out there. That would be fantastic for a documentary. Is it likely to happen? No, but there's, there's good stuff there. The, I mean, I can't overemphasize the importance and the significance of what the OP has been studying for the last umpte- several years, umpteen, that has been umpteen, but several years, and, and including what happened most recently, which we just covered in a three-part interview with Todd Hale and then David Ellis analyzing some of the, the audio stuff, you know, that the Nest site, and then subsequently Hugh and Todd, basically, I, I mean, I'll say it, you guys interrupted a Bigfoot making another nest. And I say that not because, not just because there was a nest, but all the corroborating, you know, the handprint, the footprints, the hair. It's again, it's, it's something that it's uh, happened again. You know, it was a goal of your, you personally and, and the OP to replicate that original site. And 
what the heck? It happened. Through, yeah. You know, through diligence, you couldn't have done it in a documentary. I mean, because it took too many years. <laughs> I mean, it oh, just took no. too, you know, it happened. It's yeah, uh, it took it, patience and. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, nobody right now is paying for uh, this kind of work and this sort of documentary where somebody can be on your back or pay for uh, your endeavors. And, you know, Seth's going to tell a story here. He's going to do a great job. You know, like you said, Gunner, I know the things we've experienced over the years, and I know the things we've looked at uh, over the years, whether it's, you know, I mean, mainly talking about the nest site study areas. I call it areas now because there's more than one, which is really cool. But mm-hmm. we're also looking at other areas that may hold nests and uh, getting a great involvement in this phenomenon. So it's, man, it's it's exciting stuff. And I'm just stoked that uh, we got individuals like Seth Freelove and Small Town Monsters um, willing to take their time and, and efforts to uh, come out here and film someone what we're doing. It's It's exciting. Yeah. And if you haven't seen Seth Small Town Monsters documentaries, go to their website, Small Town Monsters. Seth does a a podcast of his own, and uh, it's really good. And uh, they talk about you know a lot of different subjects. Obviously, our focus is on on the subject of Bigfoot, but uh, is, yeah. isn't it isn't it called Monster Monster Opolis? I think they're they're. Uh podcast monsteropolis great podcast and uh, yeah they cover a lot of different stuff but yeah very entertaining so um check that out and uh i know you have had the uh, you're getting ready for an event this weekend i know that uh you're taking a trip back out with some individuals to the area around your uh, most recent are you are you guys I, I think you were still up in the air when i was talking to you about it last are you going to the newness site? I mean, close proximity. Yeah, I mean, this particular weekend, or excuse me, uh, actually tomorrow I'm heading up to the Olympics uh, to do some um, uh, maintenance and preliminary scouting for a few things uh, we got planned down the road here. And then I'm going to an, another, I'm actually in the Olympics still, but going heading to, actually, we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to be do, working in the new nest area. Uh, site and the old nest area site uh, doing some long-term audio work out there which we've been working on uh just uh getting everything all over you know eyes dotted and our t's crossed uh so we're gonna be working out there this upcoming uh thursday through sunday chris spencer's gonna join me i think a few others are gonna join me out there to do some audio work and audio work placement uh trying to see what's going on in this area without our present over a long period of time we don't work this area every day or every week. We actually leave it alone for a long, you know, long periods of time, just to see if anything comes back or anything happens or we come across anything new. So uh, I think that's important, you know, uh, whether, I mean, imagine a hunter and we're not hunters, but just imagine a hunter out in the area uh, placing game cameras every day, checking the game cameras and leaving a scent around and, and uh, looking for his game. Yeah, you're probably going to scare off everything. So we like to leave these areas for weeks, if not months sometimes. And we go back periodically to review trail cameras or audio, long-term audio. Or if we don't have anything in this area, just to look for tracks, uh, look for any new movement, both known animal and and possibly the unknown the target species. And so uh, that's what we do. And, and uh, this upcoming weekend, 
uh, we're going to be out there doing the same thing, hiking our brains out. So I'm, yeah, I'm hoping that you guys go out there and find that uh, Bigfoot came back and and built finished building the nest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it ain't gonna. It, we're not gonna find it. Uh, we're not gonna find something finishing building the nest because I took most of that away. I have done in my collection, <laughs> so yeah, that's not gonna happen. scratch. Well, it could, you, but you, uh, you pissed Bigfoot off. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is such a vast area. This time of year, if nests are being made, uh, it's the right time of year, and we'll look at some different areas very adjacent and very close proximity areas. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we find come across something. I, like I said before, many times on this show, I don't think Sasquatch makes nests yearly. Uh, I think it's uh, specific for birthing purposes. Just my opinion, my hypothesis and to come across a new nest. I'm with you there. Very rare, very rare, but you never know. Uh, cause I don't know anything, just ideas. So, uh, who knows what we're going to come across and what we're going to discover. I'll be happy we find some really good impressions knowing that something's still moving through the area and maybe we'll come across something, you know, uh, worth uh, running home to mom and pops. And something has crossed my mind is like, okay, so you guys interrupted uh, this nest building process and it's for verdicts. Let's just follow this. Follow, stay with me for a second. And it was for a birthing purpose they went somewhere else and made another nest i mean they had they they wouldn't not continue their i mean if that's a process that they use for birthing they they went somewhere else after you interrupted them and built a nest it would make sense that they would well see that's the they thing have another area close by yeah i mean you would you would think so right you would think so but once again i don't right. I, I or we don't claim to know anything you would assume that but what uh if just could, yeah. If just for per, you know, just say it was a birthing process. What period in that uh, individual's uh, birthing process were they at? Were they about to give birth? Was it like a couple of days a week? So if you disrupted the amount of work that we disrupted in that area that took place, would birth be imminent or maybe another week away? I, who knows? Maybe they had to go give birth, or it had to go. If right. you know, just once again hypothesizing, it had to go give birth right away. Maybe it was auntie. It yeah, might I mean, be auntie that was building the nest. It might you know, not be mom. <laughs> well, it's, She's it's, got a full belly. Yeah, well, but get back to the nest real quick. You know, with the uh, you know the tracks found in there, they're fourteen inches, uh, roughly fourteen inches right. long, and uh, that fits, yeah, it fits within Patty of nineteen sixty seven film. Uh, and it looked like she had to give, either given birth or was about to. And of course, I've talked about the show before about nests found down the area. I mean, it's just one of those things where it's such a rabbit hole of ideas, you know, and, but we're building upon this. We're, you know, we're starting to predict where we're going to find these nests. And basically we're starting to predict possibly when, yeah. I mean, breaking one of these nests up, you know, as something's building it, if it's for a birthing purpose is, yeah, maybe not something. Some people will be like, oh yeah, you're, you're a jerk for doing that. And other people are like, no, you got to get the proof. <laughs> I kind of fall in the middle. I'm like, ah, you know, I there was a lot of work that went into gathering all that material and I feel bad about it. And then I'm like, well, this is what you're out here for. So, you know, I'll be honest with you, the chances, uh, literally the chances of walking, I don't care if it's even a bear or whatever, just saying, for example, walking in on something, building something like that, pretty dang slim. Across the board. And we're not dealing with a bear. I'm just saying across the board, that's really rare. And so, 
to break up something that's possibly building a nest to have birth or give birth or for a nursery scenario, regardless of the species, you know, that, that you gotta, you gotta think about that. That took a lot of effort and time. I could recognize that uh, as could my cohorts. You could recognize the amount of time went into that. And, uh, you know, you feel a little bit guilty about it. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. I think Sasquatch can go on and build another nest somewhere. And I, I hope that if that was the scenario they did or it did, who knows? I mean, who knows at the end of the day, the purposes of the nest, what they're made for. This is all conjecture. And I'm cool with that. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing is, though, their physicality, how much work was it for them versus right. what it would be for us? Great point. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah. Yeah, breaking, breaking Huckleberry to them is probably no big deal. Where it is to us, we don't aren't able to snap huckleberry in the diameter that that they utilize for these nests. I mean, great point. And there could be another nest five miles away. Who knows? I mean, uh, th- this area is right. so vast. There's so many ravines. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's many more nests in this area, whether they're new or old. You know, but trying to get through this area or these areas, uh, it's a tall order. It's one of those things where. Yeah, well, you, you have to have an agenda original, and a goal. <laughs> right. The original nest site is no picnic to get into. And it sounded from the description of where uh, you and Derek went to and found the, the, the very old nest, what appeared to be older than the original nest site, was even kind of more uh, dense and sketchy. And then this, this area is in close proximity to that. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. It's no easy task just to go out there. Uh, you know, where, where the odds were almost nil that this would have ever happened. I mean, that you would, that someone, a Bigfoot researcher would walk up on, on a Bigfoot building. And that the only thing is, is the amount of time that you have spent going out into that area, you increase exponentially you, the odds of something happening. And because of timing, you knew what time of year to go. You know, so it wasn't it wasn't quite the the moving needle in the haystack. That's where the where you you narrow things down to some degree of predictability. You know when the you know the original nest site was was discovered that it, that it was found close to when it had been built, and what you happened to be back out at the time when uh and that was a year ago now, right? So I guess it is almost been, almost uh, like, almost yeah. uh, actually it was a year. Uh, ago um, a couple of days ago to a T and yeah I mean yeah. that's the, that's the thing is I'm still amazed uh Todd Hale who was out me with me on that particular trip where he found this new nest in the making we talked about this the other day he, he was actually the one that said hey you know it was a year ago today we came across that and I I didn't realize that uh knowing though it was the same month it's just one of those things where yeah it's absolutely abs- actually it's absolutely stunning it's absolutely amazing uh, regardless, like I said, people can argue what made the nest. I don't care about that. I, I'm I'm more incompetent what made these nests. But you can argue that point. To come across something in the making of one of them, it, like literally, it, it's so weird. If you knew this area and how we walked in on this area, such a vast area. And, and Todd Hale and I just happened to, uh, last minute, wa- you know, building our camp. And we're going to go check out this ravine real quick and then head back to camp to come across something of uh, that magnitude. And I mean, by magnitude, I mean, what we heard out there was huge, uh, tremendously huge moving around in the brush and then just find what we, you know, eventually found 
they come across the all that this nest pile and and all the huckleberry breaks it's like when for me and i know i speak for todd hill too it's like winning the lottery it's like something you'll never forget it's the bigfoot lottery it is yeah. you know other other than you know <laughs> uh, you know we did have a video going uh, we didn't capture it because this this thing was just below our view in the huckleberry which is so thick but this is about as close to a, a victory for our personal research upwards and onwards to keep going and, and maybe we'll come across uh, even more this year. That's my goal. I mean, we're right in the, this, this time frame where I think if Sasquatch, you know, is making nests this time of year, or even if it's uh, every four or five, six years, we should be able to come across more nests based on the area, based on what we're, you know, our, uh, our patterns, possibly a predictability. There's so many questions, but dang, this is exciting stuff. When I heard about this, I was so excited for you because I knew that this was one of the reasons why you were putting, you put so much time and effort into that, into the area and, you know, hundreds of hours in the woods. And, and there had been some breakthroughs. There there was a sighting near, you know, that you and Cliff um, investigated and found some, what looked like evidence behind some footprints and and other sightings and you found some other uh what looked like footprints yeah you know and this is all taking place it didn't happen in two weeks it happened over the last what four years that this you've been going back and and occasionally something of interest would happen which is what kind of i I guess if you're plotting a bell curve of you know frequency of of some kind of evidence being found if you go to an area of of high of that has bigfoot in it that it wouldn't be very fr- frequent that you would have something happen. You would eventually. So this, this is a unusually down the rabbit hole kind of conversation, which Shane usually, and I usually have when we're not recording a show. So it's almost like, like you're sitting on a phone call with Shane and I, that, exactly. uh, we have when, <laughs> when we're not recording. So um, a, little, a lot of stream of consciousness, uh, kind of a conversation but yeah across the board uh, i hope you've enjoyed it yeah i hope you've enjoyed it uh if you're listening on on youtube um give us a thumbs up if you like it if it was if you hated it or you like it put in the comments you know if you hated it like i slept through it put give us a thumbs down um but uh if you enjoyed it and you want to hear more stuff like this be sure and uh subscribe to our YouTube channel and uh, hit the notification button so that you actually get notified when we put up a new video. Um, we're doing a lot of crazy stuff, new stuff. What with Thomas Seawood doing his Sasquatch Island uh, every week and, and Thomas Steenberg and, and Julie doing on the shoulders of giants, which is a really cool ongoing series. And stream of consciousness. If you like you said, if you enjoy it, thanks. And we appreciate you sticking with us. So we're gonna wrap this up and uh Shane we'll we'll talk soon about what happened with uh, your weekend. Um hopefully something fantastic happens. Maybe you find that, you know, the replacement nest somewhere and uh or or you find another have another encounter, which would be fun. <laughs> you never so, know. Uh, you never know. So for uh, Shane Corson, this is Gunnar Monson with Monster X Radio. Thanks everybody for listening. And uh, we'll be back soon. Keep it squatchy.
Futurist Radio.